You're listening to InkPod, Episode 1. Just start. Write about things that make you ask questions. You're listening to InkPod. It's all about the stories. Welcome to InkPod. InkPod is the podcast of the Writers' Alliance of Newfoundland and Labrador, bringing advice, news, and inspiration to current and future writers across the province. Episodes will feature interviews with provincial authors, editors, publishers, and educators, and cover a wide range of topics pertinent to writers, including the writing process, learning the craft, publishing, marketing, and beyond. In this, the first episode of InkPod, Jen Windsor talks to Carrie Cull, author of the book Rock, Paper, Sex. Jen asked to interview Carrie to discuss the techniques she uses researching nonfiction projects. Jen is currently working on her book about women working on cruise ships and becoming pregnant. Okay, so my name is Jen Windsor. I'm the executive director of the Writers Alliance of Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, we are in the Writers Alliance office, and we are here with Carrie Call. Hi, I'm Carrie Call, and you're listening to InkPad. InkPod. InkPod. <laughs> Close. Okay. According to a review in the Telegram, Carrie's book, Rock, Paper, Sex, is shedding new light on a very controversial industry in the city of St. John's. So for any of our listeners who haven't read the book, uh, go out, purchase it. You can get it at your local bookstores, or everybody. you can get it at your local library, too. Or your local <laughs> library. We support local libraries. Love you, NL Public Libraries. <laughs> um, but can you tell any of our listeners who haven't read the book, just in a nutshell, what the book is about so they, right. so they know? So basically, the book is a collection of uh, stories. Um, it's narrative journalism, I guess, if I had to choose a genre for it. But it's a collection of stories that are based on interviews that I did with people who are involved in the sex industry, mostly in St. John's. Right. So it's um, people who are sex workers, um, survivors of human trafficking, um, people who are dancers, uh, um, and all different types of people who identify as being attached to the sex industry in some way and having firsthand experience in that world. In your initial thinking about the book um, and then thinking of the revision process, how did it develop, you know, in, in, in what you thought it was going to be and then kind of what it ended up to be? So I had no idea what it was going to be when I first started it. I had a few interviews done, and then I did another writer's retreat in Dublin in 2015. And so I went there with some ideas, and I was like, okay, I'm doing this book, and this is how I feel like it's going to come out. What I had told the group in Dublin is nowhere near what happened. Ah. So what I learned from that when it comes to interview-based research is that you really can't – it's good to have a plan and an outline, but you need to be able to pivot from that – at any point right so for instance in my book that you know there's an intro and there's stories but then there are quotes in the middle you know mm-hmm. um i never planned on doing that sort of thing but i had all of these fantastic quotes that were really 
you know, really valuable and really uh, sometimes, you know, one quote can really say a lot about a person's experience. So I wanted to include those. You know, I never planned on having, um, I never planned on having this big bibliography in the back because it's not really that type of book. But I did do a ton of research around that topic. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was good to include that. But I didn't really plan on doing that. Right. Um, I didn't plan on having all of the, all of the, the, um, community outreach information in in the back either but you know I felt like a lot a lot of these community organizations had helped me in some regard and sometimes people reading the book would maybe need to reach out to some of these so things like that that I just kind of added in as I went yeah um, and there and there are going to be different things like that in the next book as well like for instance one of the things that going back to what I said earlier about learning from the mistakes I feel like I didn't put enough information in the first book about you know crisis lines some you know some stories some experiences some descriptions can be triggering for people mm-hmm. so you know in the next book I'm going to make sure that I you know in between every couple chapters I'm going to have you know the hotline crisis line you know mental health crisis line just even on the bottom of the page different things like that right right yeah it's a it's a good point on that note, you can find links to organizations mentioned here in the post for this episode on wannell.ca forward slash podcast. I know this is probably like a, a big kind of general question, but what uh, what kind of pleased you the most about the way that the book turned out? Hmm. That no one's ever asked me that before. What has pleased me the most? Yeah. Everybody generally speaking, has been very respectful to the participants. Okay. In reviews and there's, you know, in all the, you know, talk on social media and people commenting. I haven't heard anyone really say anything negative about any of the participants and any personal things about any of the participants. Mm -hmm. So that's been, you know, because I was really worried about that. I was really worried about how these stories would be received, you know, as individual human stories. And if someone, if one of the participants, say, was being talked about publicly or something like that, how that would make them feel and how that would reflect on them. So I was really pleased with that. I mean, not that I know of. These things haven't happened that I know of, Mm -hmm. that I've experienced. And I guess you almost feel almost like a protective thing with these people. Right, well, because they trust me, right? Like, they trust me with these really personal stories. And, you know, some of these individuals, they have not shared that part of their lives with anybody and some of these individuals, their lives could be absolutely ruined if people found out uh, yeah. from their perspective. That's how they feel. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I do feel, you know, a little bit protective like that. Yeah. 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 So on the flip side of that, is there way, is there a particular way or anything that you felt, you know, it kind of felt short of your original goal of what you wanted it to be? I didn't have as broad of a, of a brush with the stories as I wanted. Um, depending, it's, it's hard to get lots of different stories. I think I did get a lot of different stories, but I didn't get enough of the different stories, I guess. Mm. I did interview two street-based sex workers who did uh, consent to having their stories published, but I, now I cannot be 100% sure but I got the impression that they might have been under the influence when they gave me that consent. So I did not include those stories. Oh. So those two stories would have added, I think, a much needed perspective to the book, much needed balance. But I could not ethically 
include those stories. Good for you. I would think that some other people might not feel yeah. so ethically about it if it's like a juicy, you know, a yeah. juicy tidbit. Yeah. Um, what was it that, you know, didn't want you to sink in the juicy tidbit? Was it just, let, you know, you've been, you've been so immersed in it, you, you wanted to remain yeah. respectful and keep ethical about it? Um, I don't know. I guess it's just all about, it's just the issue of consent in general. I yeah. mean, you know, if someone is under the influence, uh, can they really give true consent? Yeah. And I didn't want someone to, you know, a year down the road, someone be able to point to them and say, oh, this is you and I know it. And they can't even remember having that conversation with me. I just feel like that would be a complete nightmare. And, you know, if anyone is uh, dealing with mental health issues or, or you know, uh, combating um, depression or trying to live with depression, I mean, those sorts of things can be really, really damaging and hard and really hard to deal with and come back from. So I just couldn't have that on my conscience. I just couldn't deal with that. Now, I am working with one of them um, to see if it can, you know, make an appearance in the second book. Mm-hmm. We'll see. But um, not, I'm not sure about that yet. Can you talk about some specific techniques that you use as a nonfiction writer in your research? When it comes to writing nonfiction, there's a couple different types of nonfiction I guess one can write. So for me with my book and similar to your project, my nonfiction was based on interviews. Yeah. So it wasn't from my own life, it wasn't a memoir, it wasn't something that I could solely sit and write. There were lots of moving parts to it. Um, as you know, when you're bringing in other voices, permissions, when you're collaborating with other people, there's a whole other set of issues and challenges and also amazing things that come with that. Um, when it comes to you know, nonfiction that is based on interviews and narrative, I kind of just learned as I went. When I first started, uh, similar to you, I had no idea the challenges that I was going to come up against. And with my topic, because it is so controversial and so private and personal to people, there were, and similar to your topic, yeah, there's lots of things that you have to consider that I, I feel like are a little bit outside the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, I've written fiction in the past. I've written poetry. Um, I haven't written a novel or anything like that, but short stories. I haven't written any plays or anything like that. But nonfiction definitely is a different kind of beast. There's lots of different research that has to go into it that may not necessarily have to go into uh, a piece of fiction, depending on what it is. Um, when it came to the interviews that I was doing for, and this, you might find the same thing, and I've been asked this question after, is, you know, do you feel that you have a responsibility to the readers about what you're saying and about you know the types of ideas you're putting out there and for me my responsibility I felt was to the participants Mm -hmm. first and so that is a whole other relationship that you don't even have to consider when you're writing fiction yeah um and especially when you're telling other people's stories yeah there's a huge responsibility there especially when someone telling their story can result in them being harmed or threatened Um, there's all these other factors that you have to consider. So I don't know if I have any 
hard and fast tips, generally speaking. I think it really depends on the project. Yeah. But one, I guess, overarching tip I think I could give anyone who is going down the avenue of an interview-based project is to be able to adapt and change at every corner and learn from every single thing that you do, every interview that you do, every mistake that you make. And there are things that I'm changing about, I'm going to do another Rock, Paper, Sex of Volume 2. There are things that I learned from all the mistakes that I made with the first one that I'm making sure I, I'm going to try not to make with the second one. Right. So that would be, I guess, the big tip is just be able to adapt, be able to be open. If you're doing interviews, don't go into it with, don't go into it knowing what you're going to get out of it because that's not going to work. Or don't go into it with a motive. Or, or an expectation. Or, or an expectation, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, some of the interviews that I did, they didn't come to fruition as a full story in the book, but maybe I got some research out of that in a different way, or I got a quote out of it I could use, or I learned something that helped had the context of the book in a different way. So transcriptions, it, it's so time consuming. So, uh, you know, you take an hour or two hour interview and a transcription of that can take so long. Mm-hmm. What do you use when it comes to transcription? What's your method that works for you? Um, because of the nature of the interviews that I did, mm-hmm. I didn't send any of them out to be transcribed. Okay. I did it all myself. Okay. So that was definitely the most arduous task of the whole project mm-hmm. was uh, doing the transcriptions because it's just, I mean, it's just a matter of getting it done. But like you said, you have a, you know, you sit for someone and have a dinner or coffee or drinks or whatever for an hour and a half or two hours. And that transcription, especially if there's a lot of noise in the background, I mean, that's going to take five or six hours to, yeah. to do. And, but it is, it is necessary, especially in a book like mine where I'm quoting a lot from people. And because I try really hard to, um, I try really hard to walk the fence when it comes to opinion, my own personal opinion getting into the book. So I relied a lot on... Uh, the actual quotes from the individual. So Mm -hmm. transcribing those quotes took a long time, but it's necessary. It was necessary for a book like mine because every voice I found was very different. And um, it was the sort of thing that I couldn't paraphrase, you know, it wouldn't do it justice. So having those, those quotes and using their diction was very, very important. But yeah, the transcription process was was just awful. Yeah. I hate that part. It's and it's, but it's the sort of thing that I can't hire someone else to do it. You know, I can't send it out to a class, uh, you know, a business class that's learning how to type or whatever at the College of North Atlantic. Someone, you know, uh, suggested I do that. But because of voice recognition and so on, you know, and we talk about personal things. And during the interviews, I would say to people, you know, that's one of the things and one of the ways that I built trust is that I tell them that this is not going to leave my recording device. Right. I transcribe it myself. No one else hears it. It gets deleted. And then I only have the words on the page to go by. Right. right. So... Trust building was a huge, huge, and relationship building was was a really huge component of the success of my book. Yeah, I bet, just because mm. of the nature of the topic, for sure. Mm. So when you um, completed the transcription, you, would you then send it to the people that you interviewed? Did they sign off on it? How did it work from there? So I would do the transcription, and then I would write the piece. Okay. And then I would send the piece, The I would send the piece to the participant. Uh, sometimes, you know, a lot of what they said wouldn't get into it, or, mm-hmm. you know, I would 
take something that they said at the end and kind of put it in the, in the beginning, depending on, you know, the story and how it needed to flow. Because a lot of the time it takes you a little while to get into the groove of a conversation. Yeah. And I tend to keep things really informal when I'm sitting down with people and for these sorts of interviews. Like we could, we could be talking about something deeply personal with them or me, and then we could talk about, you know, a movie for 10 minutes and then we'll go back into a conversation so I would kind of cut and paste the conversation how I needed to to build a story around the topic that we were we were meant to be talking about um but yeah so the the transcription yeah they wouldn't sign off on the transcription but they would sign off on the finished piece so sometimes Mm -hmm. I had one one person that I sent the, the finished piece to the first draft I should say and they got back to me and said, not a chance. Are you publishing that? I want nothing to do with this project. I hate that. Oh, yeah. Blah, 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 blah. So I talked to them and convinced them to give me another shot. And it was the first piece I wrote for the book, actually. Oh. And I didn't even know how it was going to be structured at that point. Because I just went in. I was like, I'm getting all the research I can. I'm not going to say this is how it's going to be structured. This is how it's going to be laid out. Because I didn't know what I was going to get. Yeah. So anyway, I, they let me take it back and rewrite it. And then I sent it back and they were like, that's fantastic. That's great. So that was a, that was a bit of a challenge for me because those sorts of obstacles can be really hard for people. You know, it's the first story and the person saying, that sucks. I hate it. It made me sound like an idiot, you know? So that was a big, uh, a big lesson for me. But anyway, uh, the signing off process starts at the first draft for me, not the transcription. Right. Okay. Uh, that kind of leads uh, into something I'm very curious about. Um, I find I just in being busy and life and stuff and things, I have a real challenge writing right after the interview. And it's almost like if I the longer I leave it, then it's like the the feel of it disappears and the way that I felt in the moment and like things that I wanted to capture. How important do you think it is to start the writing like as soon as you can after that interview? Really important. Uh, for me, that was one of the mistakes I made with the first book was that I, you know, kind of had this plan and, uh, you know, I'm going to do all the interviews, then I'm going to transcribe them, then I'm going to write the stories. So it would be sometimes a year, year and a half from the time I did the interview to the time I transcribed it or wrote the story. And when you're dealing with people in the sex industry, a lot can happen in a year and a half. Some people are not involved in it it anymore. Some people are. Some people's mindsets or views or experiences have completely changed. So then getting the permissions from them was even harder because there would have to be complete rewrites or sometimes, you know, it just wouldn't work out at all. Um, But yeah, that's something I'm doing. That's something I learned from, you know, with the next book, I'm interviewing transcribing as quickly as possible which is still usually a couple of weeks minimum because you know I have a full-time job and yeah a life and, and so on outside of that that hobby and um but yeah it's it's important to do that to capture you know kind of the essence of what the person is saying and getting the nuances of you know the cadence you know the way they talk and what they emphasize and things like that is that's really important to the overall tone of the story yeah because of your topic too and you know it being so complex and you know complicated i'm sure it was difficult even to get people to agree mm-hmm. to to do this how how did you do it what avenues <laughs> did you go down to get the interviews with these people right so the 
what sparked the idea for this book? Uh, it was the fall of 2014, and I did. A, I was doing a writer's retreat at Kilmory Resort, and uh, Gerard Collins was my mentor, and I was there for short fiction. And at the same time, that's when the uh, news articles were coming out about the uh, gang rapes that were happening at hotels with sex workers. Right. Here. I guess I have to say alleged, you know, but the gang rapes. And um, so anyway, uh, when I was doing this workshop, Gerard said to me, write about things that provoke you. Write about things that make you ask questions, that make you feel angry, that make you, that stir something within you. So it was kind of those two things coming together. So when I came back from the writer's retreat, you know, all these people were talking about this horrible thing, these horrible things that had happened. And I was, I couldn't even really post about it on social media because I was just so full of emotion, so angry this was happening. And it seemed like no one was really doing anything about it. And um, I thought, you know, this is such a deeply personal thing for the the people that this has happened to, what must it be like for them to have everybody talking about this? And they can't tell, they can't come out and tell their story even if they want to. Yeah. Or everyone's talking about it and they may not want to even think about it, but they can't get away from it and what that must be like. And that kind of, you know, evoked all of these weird emotions in, in me and, and all of that. And so I just kind of was thinking about that for a while. And I said, you know what? If I'm having all of these emotions and reactions and, you know, kind of my own view, I'm thinking about my own perspectives and my own views, everyone else must be as well. And there was never any talk about any of this happening in and around St. John's, whether it's like, or or generally speaking, right? Whether it's, you know, human trafficking, um, independent sex work, people who identify as um, sex workers or survivors or victims, however people identify because of their experience. There wasn't a lot of talk about that. And definitely not a a lot of talk about the politics of language and and all of that. Um, Generally speaking, like there were no books published about it or anything like that. So then when I came back from that uh, and I, you know, said, I'm going to do this, you know, like I'm going to do this because I it, I was sitting on it for a while and because it wouldn't leave me, I was like, I obviously have to do something. So I was like, I'm just going to start talking to people and see what happens. So I put up an ad on NL, NL Adult, which is um, a site here in Newfoundland uh, where people sell sex, sell and buy sex. And so I put an ad up. Hi, my name is Carrie. I was, you know, 35 at the time. They always put their age on these ads, right? Right. Hi, my name is Carrie. I'm 35. I'm a writer. And, um, you know, just probably a few hundred words, a couple paragraphs uh, about what my intention was and what I was doing. And just basically put a very general call out saying, you know, I want to talk to everybody, whether you're a seller, a buyer, no matter what your experience is, the good, the bad, the ugly, I want to talk to you. Um... Uh, and I put up a an old school paper poster in the female washroom of the Cotton Club. I got permission from from the owner, of course. Uh, so I got some some hits that way. Um, and then there was some word of mouth stuff that happened, like when people realized that I was trustworthy and stuff like that. I got a couple that way. I had some people um, contact me who I knew from you know my life and my past who said, you know, I'm doing this and okay. I would like to tell my story. Uh, so that was really interesting, and um, yeah, uh, it it just kind of kind of snowballed. But I started with posting the ad uh, on NL Adult. Yeah, yeah. and that, and then it kind of like you said snowballed from there. Yeah, because uh, I know. Yeah. Um, I mean, since then, I know that you are actually doing work 
you know, with some of these women uh, directly in uh, the Women's Center, correct? Or? So um, I'm not necessarily doing work with the participants of my book. Okay. I, I do volunteer at the Blue Door program. Okay. Um, I do a writer's group with uh, with the participants there, um, which has been fantastic for all of us. It's like we just get together and write and yeah. talk about our feelings, and we all participate. You know, I do as well as the, the people that work there as well, and we, mm -hmm. we all get together. So that's been fantastic. Um I also, I used to volunteer at Street Reach. I don't volunteer at Street Reach anymore, but I used to. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. That's really the only kind of work I'm doing to that regard. Right. Yeah. Right. But I guess it's almost like in order for some of these people to to share their stories with you, there, there probably had to be some sort of like connection and trust and, you know, uh, a mutual respect. Yeah. It took a long time for people to agree to talk to me. So... And I think it's because I never really pressured anybody. So mm -hmm. I would put the I put the you know the call out for interest, and then I would wait for people to contact me, and then I would say start asking me questions. What do you want to know? So a lot of the time there was a really long, you know, going back and forth through email. You know, they were interviewing me ultimately to see if I was trustworthy, and you know, they, if I was a journal, they you know would ask me if I was a journalist, if I worked for some sort of news company or you know cbc or whatever and they didn't want any any of that mm -hmm. um they really were testing the waters and most of the time people who are involved in this industry who work in this world they are very good at reading people and so sometimes it took a long time for them to trust me but then other times it didn't and i found that most people because no one had really genuinely asked them about their experience before a lot of them had never genuinely expressed their thoughts and emotions about their experiences they wanted to talk yeah so if we could find a way to do it anonymously, especially, it uh, usually, uh, you know, would would uh, come to fruition a lot quicker than if we were trying to meet or, you know, have, a, have a, an actual phone call or something like that. Right, right. Is there anything that happened uh, in the writing? You mentioned how, like, things did change throughout the process, but is there anything that happened that you really didn't expect to happen throughout the process? I had people from my past who, you know, are just like me and you come out and, you know, say that they have been doing that. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, they participated in the research. And that was, that just floored me. Because, you know, as someone, I'm not a social worker. I'm not, I was not educated in any of these topics before I started, you know, talking to people and researching back in 2014. Mm-hmm. You know, I have my own assumptions and my own very cut and dry sort of perspective around a lot of these issues. And with every interview that I did, things just became grayer and grayer and things just became more and more complex. And, you know, I would be talking to one person who had one view and I could completely understand their perspective based on their experience and agree with them wholeheartedly. Yeah. And then be talking to someone else a week later who had a completely different experience and completely different opinions because of it. And agree with them wholeheartedly as well. Yeah. Because where I'm not a person of experience, I always kind of learning and taking in what they're what they're saying so I could have these combating experiences and all of that. But anyway, yes, with those individuals who I had known and still know from, from my life, that yeah, though that was probably the biggest thing because it really threw me for a loop. Because there's one thing you know, writing a book about the experiences of strangers is one thing. And then writing a book about people that you know in various capacities is another thing. Yeah.
So in reading your book, one thing that I noticed that I'm sure the participants appreciated was you you stayed very uh, no opinion and no judgment and like there was not nothing came across in your writing to show how, you know your own I guess personal opinions and how hard was that extremely hard and you deliberately did that I assume yeah I deliberately yeah. did that yeah um, it was extremely extremely difficult but I knew I had to do it because this project was, is not about my opinion. Yeah. No one cares about my opinion. I know that I have, I know when you're writing a book about something, you have the power to shape the opinions of those who are reading it. Yeah. So my, you know, I endeavored to provide as much information as I po possibly could um, around the stories, uh, you know, and I would, you know, have footnotes so that if someone said something, I could provide some information on that. But yeah, it was extremely difficult not to, you know, provide any sort of opinion or sentiment or, yeah, very, very hard. Yeah, yeah, I bet. But, uh, I mean, good Anya for, uh, for doing that. I bet that was appreciated by all those individuals. Like you said, the topic is complex and uh, people can form their opinions, but they probably don't really understand all of it. Hey. You mentioned uh, earlier that in... The very first one that you wrote, you passed off the chapter and mm. they were like, no, absolutely <laughs> not. What did you have? Um, was that the only experience like that? Yeah. I just I just think about myself going through the entire process and passing it over and then it being declined. All the work to even get to that point. It's almost like heartbreaking. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was hard. But see, when I wrote that story, I didn't had it with context I didn't have this good introduction I didn't set the tone at all it was just a lot of quotes because this person was really entertaining and I thought really funny and genuine and just came across as such a fantastic character you know right and uh, they had not had didn't want anything to do with that perspective um they wanted me to pad it with uh you know put some some words around around their words which I end up doing and then they and that was fine it was literally then the easiest rewrite ever I, you know I I did some rewriting and they were like yep perfect best kind huh so which is weird as well you know like yeah. that's very rare that that would happen now some of them uh the rewriting process was very long where we'd be on the phone for three or four hours going through every single sentence wow you know um yeah, that would be really really trying sometimes uh but necessary to get their story out there and you know they would deem it you know extremely important to spend the time so that you know if I'm using one word they don't like it you know I have to think about why I'm using that word and we would have to talk about it and different things like that um, but yeah those when you're getting permissions from people to write their stories it adds a whole other layer to a writing project and I'm sure like you know someone like Mike Heffernan uh, or people that are writing books all the time. But, I mean, he has much more experience with that sort of writing than me. I'm sure he could speak to that as well. I mean, it's just, it adds in a whole other layer of tasks and time. And you're no longer in control of your work that you're putting out there with your name on it, right? It really is a collaborative effort at that point and brings in a whole lot of challenges. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Which you'll which you'll come to understand. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I just picture, you know, going through the whole process and then, you know, having one of the people saying, you know, oh, you know, I take it back. I don't give you permission anymore. And just how, you know, how hard that yeah. must be. Um, 
is there um did you find that sometimes you had to kind of like compromise on you know the kind of angle you wanted to take in order to you know to make the the person you're interviewing approve um I never really had an angle with them. Mm-hmm. It was more about understanding their perspective and making sure I emphasized that part of their perspective. Um, sometimes I would have to explain to them, you know, explain to an individual why I felt it was important to put this in. Yeah. And usually when I did, they got it, right? They're like, oh, I never thought about that. Because right. it's their story. And a lot of the time, things that other people would find interesting is you don't even find it interesting, right, yeah. if you're going through it. So there were some conversations like that 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 had to happen where, but it wasn't angle focused. Like I didn't wasn't like okay, this story is going to be about this. Um, but yeah, there were some conversations. You know, if they were like, well, I don't like how you know, I don't I don't like that this is in there. Why did you put this in? Can we change it? And if yeah, we would have to talk about that. Most of the time, they would win that argument. But right, yeah, right, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we talked a lot about uh, interview research. Apart from interviewing, gathering the research from your interviews, where else and how else were you collecting all that extra data and information? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I read a ton of books. Yeah. Every book I could get my hands on. I'm doing that too. Every book I could get my hands on. Um, The first book I read was Sex Workers in the Maritimes Talk Back. And I went through, you know, the bibliography in there, ordered some books online from that one you know, just was Googling, you know, sex work in Canada or prostitution here and any, anything that came up, I, I read it. Um, anyone that wanted to talk to me, I would talk to them. Um, one of the things I do in my day job, I work at a financial crime fighting company, mm-hmm. software company. And one of the things that I specialize in there is human trafficking detection. Oh, So I use a lot of that knowledge as well like so I would kind of be researching some things that would kind of you know uh kind of feed into both of my worlds my hobby and my my work life right and uh I met a lot of people um uh, various organizations across Canada who are involved in in that uh in that stuff and you know learn from them and interview them and all that sort of stuff so lots of different things I took in. It was basically everything. I would just take everything, whether it was like, you know, um, a placemat, like an In-N-Out, uh, In-N-Out burger in the States, they have a placemat that gives tips on, is there human trafficking happening around you? Like different things like oh, that. Wow. Yeah. I would just, you know, literally just be anything that, uh, that came my way. I would, I would read and use and yeah. take whatever I could from it. Yeah, and yeah. not just books that were blatantly about sex work or prostitution or stripping or whatever, um, books that were about feminism and, you know, um, experiences that revolve around women or just like quotes from, you know, like I, I, the, the epigraphs that I have at the beginning or uh, ones from a song, you know, so it was just anything that I thought related to the stories or, you know, not just the subject matter, but anything. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing. Same thing. My, <laughs> uh, my, the list of books that I'm ordering is very bizarre. I'm sure, um, chapters is wondering what is happening at my house um why does this person care so much about cruises um the other uh, the other thing that i've been uh starting to do now that i'm curious to if you have an experience or any tips in is that i'm starting to reach out to big monster corporations such as royal caribbean disney 
carnival, these big monster, uh, you know, corporations and trying to talk to a human, mm. um, which has been interesting and difficult because I want to, you know, kind of get statistics and information, you know, right from the source. Any tips on how to uh, dig into that info? It would be interesting for you in that respect if you talk, inter- if you were able to interview someone and get a real live, well, like a real opinion from these individuals if they know what's happening to their women on board. Right. And how that affects their lives after and all that sort of stuff. But anyway, yeah. when it comes to reaching out, all of the, you know, all of the people that I interviewed that were not people of experience, they were, they were local. So they were very easy to locate, very easy to talk to. Right. Um, you know, I've talked a lot with the chief of police since the first book came out. He's already agreed to do an interview for the second book, but he wants to do that last, like after I have all of the other stories done, simply because, you know, so much can change from, say, you know, in three or four years. So he doesn't want to give an interview, say, now, and the book doesn't come out for five or six years, and all of these events have happened, political and otherwise, that he may want to speak to. Right. So... If you can get one, or if you can get one involved, it might be easier to get others involved. Right. But for me, I didn't really have an issue with that because it was all local, local right. people that that I was trying to that I was trying to talk to. Yeah, yeah. They are. Uh, they're like, who are you, this young girl from Newfoundland? And <laughs> yeah, Walt Disney is not here. He doesn't want yeah. to speak to you right now. <laughs> yeah. But I, I am a greasy, greasy, greasy wheel who will uh, <laughs> who will get there eventually. Um, <laughs> What advice uh, do you think you'd have for young people who, you know, are like, you know, have this idea, like me and you, this kind of big beast that they're excited about, but it's also terrifying. Is there anything that you'd say to somebody who is, you know, the me that met you this past summer? Um, I know what you said to me, but uh, any advice in particular that you'd give to a nonfiction writer? I would say just start. Don't waste time. I mean, it's good to have an outline and goals and things like that, but you don't don't get bogged down in the what ifs and the worries of if the project's going to work or not. Like just start and be able to learn and adapt as you move through it, especially if it's interview based. You're not going to have control of it whether you want to or not. Yeah. Type A personalities, it's hard it's hard to let go of control, right? So it was huge, you know, learning for me. But, um, yeah, just dig right into it and learn as you go and, yeah, just do yep. it. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Don't, just, don't waste, stop, stop wasting time thinking about it and just yeah. start somewhere. Yeah. I guess would be the, the advice. Yep. That's, uh, that's great I, advice. I don't know if, I'd, if I'm really good for that. Like, I've only published one book of this nature, but that would be it. It would just be just to do it. Or any creative project, really. Yeah. Just start it. Yeah, that's right. What would you say is your favorite uh, Newfoundland word or saying? What I would love you say? Streel. Yeah. yeah. I love the word streel. Yeah. Um, I use that a lot. I don't know if this is a Newfoundland saying, but I just, I love calling someone a dirtbag. <laughs> I don't know if that's a Newfoundland word, but it's a slang. It is a slang. I don't know if it's Newfoundland, maybe. I don't know maybe. if it's Newfoundland, but uh, a dirtbag is a great word. Yeah. And I don't know if this burnt... Remember that word? Oh, yeah, burnt. I don't I, know if that's Newfoundland, but I say that all the time. I think it would be Newfoundland. That's burnt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Streel, yeah. I guess, would be the one. Would be the number uh, one. That's one that I use a lot. Begs the question, what does it mean? Yeah, an untidy person. I think that's it for my questions. I do want to say one thing, though, that yeah. you asked earlier about what's something that has come out of it that is good or something. Yeah. Heidi Coombs Thorne, uh, she's a filmmaker here in St. John. She's making a documentary on my first book. Oh. So that, I want to give a plug for her mm -hmm. uh, because uh, this is her documentary. I am kind of consulting because of the nature of the topic and, you know, um, all of that. But she has received some, received some initial funding for it. And I'm not sure when it's going to be out. I have no idea. All I know is that I am going to have to talk in front of camera. That's all I know. And um, she has a lot of great of ideas for the doc. So I'm not sure what it's going to be called or how long it's going to be. She's thinking there could be some animated shorts based on the stories. So she has lots of great ideas. But anyway, her, uh, her name is Heidi Coombs Thorne. And... Uh, that is hopefully going to happen at some point. That's so exciting. Yeah, now it's her doc, but it's based on my book, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, did you ever imagine that that could ever be uh, in the realm of possibility? No, and I just learned that my book is also being taught in a third-year sociology course. Wow. Yeah, and I'm hoping to uh, let some of the participants know that as well, because I think that they would just be, just, I think they would feel like they're making an impact with their experience. Yeah, mm. that's incredible. I know, it's cool, right? Yeah, yeah. Links to some of the organizations mentioned here are on our page for this episode at wannell.ca forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening to InkPod. If you like the show and want to know more, or would like to suggest topics or guests for future episodes, please email us at podcast at wannell.ca. And if you're a resident of Newfoundland and Labrador, consider becoming a member of the Writers' Alliance, a not-for-profit, member-based organization serving the literary arts community since 1987. Check us out at www.wanl.ca. That's www.wanl.ca. InkPod, it's all about the stories.